first tonight, with the ACT set to be divided into three seats in federal parliament, the contest for pre-selection is starting to heat up. Three candidates for Labor pre-selection in the central seat of Canberra have put their hands up. Jacob Ingram, a 24-year-old staffer in Chief Minister Andrew Barr's office. John Falzon, the CEO of the St Vincent de Paul Society. And Kel Watt, a long-time lobbyist, former candidate in Eden Monero and most recently the spokesman for the Canberra Greyhound Racing Club. Mr Watt joins me in the studio now. Mr Watt, thank you for coming in. Oh, g'day, Jacob. Call me Kel. <laughs> oh, Mr Watt's my dad. Oh, that's a cliche, but it makes me feel uncomfortable. Does Parliament need another lobbyist? Well, lobbying, I'm funny you touched on that. I know it's got a little bit of easy run in the Canberra Times and a couple of other bits of media, but it makes up a very small percentage of my business. So my background uh, was, if you go right back to when I first started work, was in the disability sector. I jumped in and was very passionate about the Labor Party, joining as a teenager, and I did some staffing work and was an advisor and worked for party office as well. And then I probably over the last 10 or 15 years jumped out, worked in the private sector, and I've got a bunch of small business interests. So that small business background includes setting up businesses in hospitality, retail, and my own consultancy. So the reason that probably people have more recently associated me with the greyhound industry is that I've had a couple of friends who worked in the industry. My grandparents were greyhound trainers. And when they were facing what many felt was an unfair ban um, in the ACT through the parliamentary agreement with the Greens, they asked me for some help. So I was certainly active there, and I know that the people, even the minister and the opponents of the industry have had to recognise that um, the local ACT industry has been well run and that there's never been any breaches of rules or regulations in um, four decades. But it really makes up a very small portion of my work experience even right now. Do you think, though, that that, may, that puts you on the back step, that you have to prove to more people that, in fact, you're more than a lobbyist? Oh, not at all. I think when people see my background and they know what my business interests, but I, even as the, the general topic, I think one of the things that, uh, just from talking to Labor Party members, is they like the fact I was outspoken. They don't want an apologist in Parliament. They don't want an apologist as a candidate. They want someone who's an activist. And I've always been that way. And I think if you go back, you mentioned the 2004 campaign, and even for the many years I joined as an 18-year-old back in 1991, going to late 91 after Paul Keating became PM, I've always been outspoken on many issues, and I know, uh, you know refugees was certainly one. The marriage equality debate, I was many years ahead of uh, where the campaign was only just 12 months or so ago. Um, so I'm very happy with the fact I've got a track record of being outspoken. People know where I am, and we often talk about wanting to back a conviction politician. So hopefully I fit that category. And I know here in the ACT, one of the reasons I was so supportive wasn't because I was a racing person. I'm not, to be honest. But it was because we had uh, over 50 people out there who were largely part, uh, members of the Australian Workers Union, which is a union affiliated to the ALP. And they were going to lose their jobs, not because they'd done anything wrong, but because of a political deal. So I was more than happy to stand up. And I think that's, to be honest, the, the people I've had conversations about it with in the party see that as real positive. They know I'm going to stand up and fight for people that couldn't fight for themselves. There's growing disaffection with major parties. It's been documented in various electoral results mm. uh, in Australia and overseas. The membership base of many of these parties has fallen. So why the Labor Party and why now? Oh, well, why the Labor Party? Uh, look, I can go back my... Uh, origins probably was almost in my DNA. My grandfather, after he came back from World War II, uh, was working on the land, so he joined what was then the old Shearers Union and uh, turned out he was a member of the local Labor Party as well. And I didn't find that out, funnily enough, until after I'd been a member for a couple of years myself and Mum mentioned it. And I thought, you could have told me before I joined, would have been nice, but I found out afterwards. Uh, and I know one of the questions I often get asked as well is, you know, are you just going to toe the line? Aren't you going to be moulded? And I tend to think of it the other way. The reason that people tend to gravitate towards one party or another is because 
their own particular principles in life, that the things that define them and make them who they are tend to fit into a political category. So for me, rather than the Labor Party making me who I am, I've chosen the Labor Party because of the things that I care about around workers' entitlements, uh, social justice issues, uh, the environment, industrial relations, and um, you know, really making sure working class and uh, middle Australians get a fair go. Now, I know that, that there's a few sort of cliches and buzzwords you can play there in a game of bingo, but you know, if we're talking in a very broad way, that's who I always like to think I am, very committed to social justice, and the Labor Party was a natural fit for me. The Labor Party is incredibly complex. And, <laughs> and for people who might not know a whole lot about the internal structures of the Labor Party, it can be incredibly difficult to navigate. Mm. Does that prevent it from actually representing the best interests of working and middle Australians? No, I think it's definitely improved over the years. And I think one of the things I can remember saying this actually is, draws oh, might have been 19 or 20, not, not long into my uni time, referring to the Labor Party and all political parties as sort of secret societies, you know, you get brought in. You know, if you're a person on the street and you've got a bit of a political interest, it really requires a personal contact to bring you in. Um, these days, I think technology's on our side. You, know, you jump onto a website, you can make contact. But that's really only the last sort of decade and a half. Before that, it was very much backroom stuff. You know, there was a lot of mystery attached to it. And I think it's um, been clarified or, or certainly cleared up in more recent times, which is good. Um, but, uh, no, I, th I think once you're involved in any organisation, perhaps the inner workings and the culture of things, you tend to just get used to it and not really see it. So, look, it might be worth us checking ourselves every now and then, but I think the way that one, the real strength of the Labor Party is that we tend to have our brawls out in public. So the membership is open, you're 15 and older. You can join a branch if you prefer to go to a morning one before work. There's one here. There's a lunchtime. There's a couple of lunchtime ones, and there's ones in the evening. And when it comes to our big policy making bodies, whether it's the ACT conference, other state conferences, or even the national conferences, they're held out in the open. There's a big media throng, and you know whether the fight's good, bad, or ugly, it's out there for all to see. So I think in many ways we're probably the most transparent, and you've got no doubt about what Labor Party members think about certain policies or each other when um, you know the, when the time's right. In the interests, then, of transparency, have you had any uh, offers of factional backing in this pre-selection battle? No, I suppose this is one of the early... Best to explain one of the early stages here. So I'm a member of um, the Centre Coalition, which is probably affectionately called the right in, um, out, out in the public domain. Uh, we've got the, the left in the ACT as well, and there's a group, Independents, who sort of... I like to think they're the best organised faction in, in Australia, probably, but they don't bind around certain policies and things, but they like to sort of see a bit more free thought. But the vast majority of members in the ACT are actually just unaligned. They're not, le not linked to anyone. They see themselves as party first. And I certainly like to put myself in that category. But the reason I'm in um, Centre Coalition is I'm centrist on a, a lot of policies, but when it comes to social issues, so things around women's reproductive health or refugees or marriage equality, on any social issue, I'm progressive and certainly on the left side of thought there. When it comes to economics, I'm a little bit drier. I think that there is a place for market forces in things. Um, and I can remember one of the early debates I was involved with in, in, back in the early 90s uh, when Paul Keating was Prime Minister and John Dawkins was Education Minister. We had a, a shift away from the Gough Whitlam era of free tertiary education towards introducing HEC schemes. So that meant at that time... The Labor Party was proposing to expand the tertiary sector by 100,000 places, see regional campuses pop up, which had benefits to country kids going to uni in their local area and staying in the, going back to regional, New, is it regional Australia. 
and leaving in with only a small manageable debt that they didn't have to pay off until they were earning a very good wage, which by and large could only be achieved through getting that tertiary education. So to me, that made sense. Unfortunately, the Howard years bastardised that. We're now seeing these massive big, big dollar degrees and you know the hex system that um, was practical and reasonable was long gone. But for me, I suppose that's a, a point of differentiation on social issues, progressive, but I think the market, I'm just not a socialist. There's a, there's a, a role there for the market in some things as long as we do the interventionist thing, which I think is what Labor's good about. And all good economic reformers in, in this country has been driven by Labor. Go back to the Hawke-Keating years and beyond. Canberra will be an inner city seat. It will. It'll be home to some of the ACT's most progressive voters. Would you be confident in being able to win the seat against a strong Greens candidate? Yeah, I think this is one of the things I do have to offer. And when I'm talking to Labor Party members as we go into that pre-selection process, firstly through the factional system and the party as a whole, is that the Greens are going to be coming at this seat very hard. It's not going to be a traditional two-horse race between Labor and Liberal with um, the minor parties making up the difference. It's going to be seen, and the Greens are already saying this, they've letterboxed the area, they've already said that they're getting out there and they're going to target it. It will be Labor v Liberal v Green, and then the... You know, the other parties coming up. and you know, who, who knows, you get a good independent thrown into the mix occasionally as well. So the Greens will run at this very hard. The Liberals obviously want to have a very good showing to make sure that their Senate vote is high. And you never want, as a major party in any, any seat, you never want to be embarrassed by having a low vote. So what I'll be saying to the Labor Party members is that I've got credibility to both the uh, sort of small business Liberal members as a small business person. I'll be able to talk to them and have credibility. When I'm talking to a business person, because I'm a business person myself, I can talk about Labor's policies around the importance of penalty rates and the importance of a strong social safety net and making sure that workers have um, strong paying conditions. And it won't just be Labor rhetoric, it'll be me as a business person, a business person. On the green side of things, this is where I've also got appeal. I've worked very closely with the Climate Change Reality Group through the US Vice President Al Gore and uh, spent about 10 or 12 years doing that. And that involves not just doing work here in the local community but at a national level. I've also travelled to the States a couple of times and done that. So that's an organisation I don't think anyone could uh, doubt has credibility. Now, Al Gore is probably the number one climate change activist known around the world. So to be linked with him and to have been linked with his cause and his work and to be able to take that out to the community. I'm not a Johnny come lately on it. I've been doing this for over a decade. I think that's going to have appeal to some of those voters that might otherwise shift to the Greens as well. So I see myself as a candidate that can't just sort of hold back against the Greens but actually appeal to the the central Labor voters but also those who might be thinking about voting Green or might be thinking about Liberal and pulling them back towards the ALP. Have you been then paying a bit of attention to the result that Jed Carney achieved in Batman? I have, and not just Jed, but I look at other seats as well. You know, Adam Bant's well-established now, um, and as a, oh gosh, going back about 20 years now, I worked for, uh, for a short time with Stephen Martin, who was the Shadow Defence Minister at the time, but was Paul Keating's Speaker back in government there. He um, had the seat of Cunningham, so he resigned uh, due to family personal reasons, no scandal, in 2002. And uh, Michael Organ from the Greens popped up as a candidate in northern parts of Wollongong there. So where the Greens can get a bit of a sniff at taking on a seat, they will. And I think this is one of the important messages we have to get to Labor voters or people that would traditionally vote Labor but might think they're flirting with the Greens, is that the Greens certainly have a worthy movement and a, and a worthy party that's worth support the same way that the Liberals and just about everyone else does. But 
you know, you can't, if, if you want to see a Labor government, you can't flirt with the Greens because the Greens are running their strongest campaigns against progressive candidates, against Labor seats. No one's talking about a Greens candidate knocking off Tony Abbott or knocking off Malcolm Turnbull. Where uh, they're threatening most is in those inner city seats like Canberra is becoming now, but against the Albanese's and the Plibersecs and the Jed Kearney's in this latest instance. You know, Jed, a high-profile candidate, just managed to get over the line. So we need to be very mindful, and our message should be to those people thinking about leaving the Labor camp and going to the Greens, is that they can't afford to have a protest vote. They've got to decide whether they want to be part of a solution and part of a Labor government or sit on the outside and see us bargaining away certain things and being held to ransom. Would a more marginal inner-city Canberra seat held by Labor be more mean that more promises would be made made to the voters of Canberra? Not necessarily. I think that you're going to get uh, more attempts at pork barrelling, you're going to get more desperation from candidates and parties, but it doesn't necessarily translate to actually getting results. I think if will, you look, will the same desperation come from Labor as well? Oh, no, look, I think all candidates of all persuasions could be subject to that. So, and I've worked in marginal seats, I think it's one of the great things I'm able to take to the Labor Party members is to say, as a Labor uh, staff member and uh, party official, I've got 50, nearly 60 political marginal campaigns at state and federal level under my belt. I know how to run a marginal campaign. Where I've seen them fail is when the scent of desperation creeps into a candidate or a party. If you look here in Canberra, um, Gabe Rotman down the southern part of the ACT and Andrew Lee in the northern part of the ACT, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who says they don't work their community very hard, don't do their best to deliver for their seats and for the ACT as a whole. So it shows you don't need a marginal seat to get good results um, a marginal seat can certainly attract a lot more interest, but it doesn't necessarily translate into a local member or a local candidate who's prepared to get out and work. Um, you certainly, if, there, if you have a marginal seat where a candidate is very complacent and doesn't uh, pull their socks up and get stuck into it, they tend to lose it. But I think uh, no matter what the margin, if you've got a local MP that's prepared to do the hard work, you're going to see the results. So I think uh, you know, my, my, result, my focus will be about results for Canberra and the ACT, not about a margin. What then does Canberra need from its federal representatives? What can what can be done for yeah. the ACT? Yeah, well, I think that if, you, if you, when you're talking to members here or you're talking to people in the community, you get a range of things. So there are people that really worry and they're quite earnest and they're serious about it. The pothole at the end of the street and you get some that are talking about solving peace in the Middle East and everything in between. So they want a variety of things. Um, you know, there's that old cliche about all politics is local. I think first and foremost, people want to know that you're working for them, you're trying to get better outcomes for them. Now, that doesn't have to be at the micro scale in terms of the pothole, but what it means is that they feel the benefit of good labour policy around their uh, kitchen table. So if they can afford to pay the bills, if they're not worried about losing their penalty rates on weekends, if they know they can access good schools for their kids, if healthcare um, doesn't have a financial barrier to it, that matters to them. That's the local stuff. Um, on the bigger end, if they know that you know their kids or their grandkids aren't going to be sent off to stupid wars or facing astronomical university uh, bills, then you know they understand that's a national policy. So it tends to be policy that's going to resonate with them. Um, but the things that matter to me, and I'm very proudly putting forward, on a micro level, I'd like to see some of the couple of my pet projects around um, the disability um, sector. I was a disability worker for many years. I chose to work in that field. My, my mum was in there. She was a nurse. And it's something I'm very passionate about. 
I know that the NDIS has um, come in in recent years, but you do hear horror stories about lack of um, opportunity there to access resources and funding, so that's something I'd like to address. Um, I'm also very passionate about infrastructure. Now, I know roads and bridges don't get too many people excited, but I think one of the things I want to have um, here during my candidacy and um, as a local member is to see that infrastructure, the roads, bridges, etc., don't stop just at the borders of the Canberra electorate or even the ACT. We're an oasis in the middle of southeast New South Wales. So every time you jump in a car, drive to the coast, head to the snowy for a weekend, or just go out to a winery somewhere, we're using southeast regional roads, southeast New South Wales regional roads. So we need to have an integrated approach and make sure that there's more money there. And that's obviously going to be better for business as well. Um, we've got five universities. People often talk about the two universities here in the Canberra electorate. We've got ANU and UC, of course, but we've also got a small outpost of um, uh, Charles Sturt. We've got University of New South Wales through ADFA and, of course, um, Signadu or the Australian Catholic University. And each one of those students, if you look at the bigger impact of them on the local economy, they're worth about $75,000 a year to the ACT. That's an amazing amount of money. Um, by the time they work and pay bills and you know do all those you know head out to mooseheads and all those other things, so that's something I, I certainly would like to put in there. Um, but again, on the bigger and national scale, climate change I think is something that I really want to see um, some action on. Um, but I also think here in um, Canberra that I often feel like Canberra's been punished because a hundred years ago somebody chose the ACT as the national capital. We've had a litany of um, you know it was started. Well, pre, you know, long before John Howard, but I think most people in Canberra can remember the gutting that the ACT had when John Howard cut all those thousands of public servants. Um, we had a bit more of it more recently under this government as well. And it's not like we've got a mining sector we can rely on or we can't suddenly you know, drill for oil down in you know, Namadji. We've got a very limited way to access revenue, and I think that that's just a fact. The Commonwealth Government has to invest in Canberra, and I think one of the things I'd like to do is work with the ACT government and our other federal members through federal parliament and see the Commonwealth stump up, look after Canberra. You know, no one talks about Washington being gutted the way that Canberra does. So whether it's a new stadium down on the um, shore of the lake and the, ca- the city to the lake development, the redevelopment of Parks Way or any of those other things, I think the Commonwealth needs to have a role. So they're some of the big things I'd like to see. How much of a threat do you think decentralisation of the public service is to Canberra? Oh, it's massive. And it's not just a threat to Canberra. You know, we're talking about a threat to our national pool of knowledge. You look at the results of the APVMA being taken up to northern New South Wales. The expertise that was lost in an area where we need highly educated, highly skilled and people with deep understanding about um, you know scientific matters, they're gone. They're gone. So we're not just talking about a few jobs and um, that have gone from Canberra and a bit of a knock-on effect at the local schools or local shops. To a degree, that can be replaced. You know, we shouldn't have to replace it in Canberra, but it's the risk to Australia, you know, in this instance, you know, biosecurity and a few other areas. But if we start doing that, um, you know, where it's not necess- absolutely necessary, there is a bigger risk to Canberra and a bigger risk nationally. Do you think there's an appetite amongst more regional Labor um, members or, or candidates to move government agencies into their electorates because of the potential positives of having an agency yeah. in, in their electorate? And, and how would you counter that sort of appetite? Oh, well, I think it's that argument around balance. So I know one of the things that we worked on, um, you know, Queen Bin years ago was talking about trying to get a federal department. You know, they based that on the Ros Kelly model when she was a member uh, for Canberra down in Tuggeranong. She was able to get a couple of um, government departments uh, locate down in Tuggeranong. That was a massive boost to the local economy. But we're talking about a 15-minute drive from Parliament House. We're not talking about 15 hours. Um, so there are some benefits. You know, the centre of Queenmean is closer to Parliament House than some parts of Canberra. So that made sense. 
Um, if you look at a whole range of matters that the government, the Commonwealth government looks after in quarantine and agriculture and biosecurity and border protection, defence, you know, most of their role is actually up around northern Australia. So to run those things, or, you know, business as usual out of Canberra, doesn't make sense. They've got to be out on the ground where the work is. So it's a matter of balance. Where things can be done regionally and there's a benefit to Australia for it to be done regionally, then you can have that conversation. But where it's simply, this gets back to the pork barrelling things, when you've got a marginal seat or you've got somebody who's just got to, you know, making a decision based on uh, desperation, you get poor decisions being made. So I'm not anti-decentralisation, but it's got to be done in a very methodical and clever way. Subject ACT understands that ACT Labor has advised pre-selection candidates to refrain from early campaigning in this pre-selection race. You're here tonight speaking to me. Does, is that true? And are you defying those recommendations? Oh, no, I'm just here having a conversation. I've certainly been speaking to people. I know the, the Jacob and uh, John, who you mentioned before, um, are certainly talking to party members and they've uh, spoken to you know, people like yourself on, on radio and other um, media outlets. So... No, I mean, I'm not here campaign. I'm certainly sharing my views and thoughts, but I'll do that over a beer or a coffee, just about any sort of situation, yeah. Um, and finally, what do you think the chances are for winning pre-selection in the seat of Canberra? Well, it's um, you know, going to be tough for anybody. We've got a situation now where um, probably seven, maybe up to 800 voters um, are going to be in the central seat. There's around about 1,600-plus members in the ACT um, of the Labor Party that have had 12 months or more membership, and that's what you need to be eligible to vote. Uh, that based on the last ACT pre-selection, most of our members seem to sort of be in the more central area. So my best guess, six, seven, plus, 100 plus, plus members. So I'm seeing that very much as an opportunity to have hundred, literally hundreds of conversations with individual members, um, speak to them all, and, you know, that's one of the things I'll be doing is taking this pre-selection very seriously. I'm taking it full-time with my wife, and that's the same commitment we'd give to... Um, uh, the national campaign as well if I was successful in that pre-selection. So it'll be tough for anybody and everybody, and that's the way it is. The thing I've been saying is that it's a pre-selection, it's not a coronation. So we've all got to get out, get out there, earn the trust and confidence of every voter and put our case, and that's what I'll certainly be doing. Kel Watt, thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much. Great to have you.